Well, listen, if you're here this morning and you have your Bible or your device or some kind of way to look at Scripture, turn to Mark chapter 8. Turn to Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter 8, and in your Bible, in the New King James Version, if you have a different version of the Bible, don't worry about it. You have your King James, you have your uh, non-inspired version, I mean your NIV version, or, you know, your ESV. Uh, We'll all get to the same place, amen. Uh, The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it's talking about Jesus, it says, When he called all the people together to himself, And his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We are in a series called Follower, hashtag follower. We took the the little icon there from sort of the Facebook and the Twitter and all the social media, uh, hashtag follower. uh, But we're talking in this series about the difference in what we think of as a follower and what a Jesus follower is. Come on, how many know that a Jesus follower is a little bit different than a follower or a like on Facebook? Come on. And we're on a journey here to know Jesus in such a deep way that we move our lives toward a dedication to Jesus. And that's what we're attempting to do on this journey. Now, here's my definition of follower. Here's what it is. A follower is a person, not a person that clicks like, (laughs) come on, but a person who knows, who loves and serves Jesus as the supreme passion of life. Now, here's the difficult part of this of this decision that you might make. Here's the difficult part of this definition. Everything else. Well, somebody say everything. Everything Everything else comes second. I tell you, that's easy to say. Come on, difficult to do. Easy to say. Oh, yeah, everything else is second in my life. Come on, we see it all the time. People who get up to accept an award at an award show, you know, will give an honor to God. You know, I first like to thank God. You know, people do that all the time. But do we see it lived in our life? Do we see it walked out in our life? And that's the difficult. Everything else comes second. And I tell you, I want to know Jesus in a deeper way, just like you want to know Jesus in a deeper way, right? But the way we serve Jesus, let's just get real about it this morning, especially here in the Western world. The way we serve Jesus and the way, you know, Christianity, the way we interpret this thing called Christianity, to me is so diluted. I'm including myself sometimes. It's it's diluted because of our experiences, especially those of us who have been in church for any amount of time. It can get diluted. Really can. But what we must understand is that when we actually say that we are going to follow Jesus, everything else comes second. What we do is, like I said, especially in this Western world, but in all parts of the world, what we do is we take the teachings of Jesus. We take uh, his principles. We take his word. 
And then we want to bring that down to where we are, where the people are. We want to bring it down to our level. And that sounds real good, doesn't it? We say that all the time. Well, you know, he really breaks it down so I can understand it. And that's a good thing. But what we do sometimes while we're breaking the word of God down so that we can understand it is we're bringing those standards down to our level as well. See, we bring those standards of God down to where we can now meet the standard. And there is nothing more frustrating. I'll tell you what, as a parent, there is nothing more frustrating than seeing your children in school and to see the standards come down so that they pass with an A, yet they didn't learn anything. Because the truth of the matter is that kids don't go to school to get an A. Come on now. Kids go to school to learn and to grow. Right? And the A's and the B's are simply uh, judgments of where they are. But that's not your goal. That's what we think it is. At, by any means necessary, just get an A. As long as I got an A, I'm all right. Not how did I get there? What did I learn? What can I take from it? Can this help me in life? And this is the way we do in Christianity. As long as I can say I went to church, I'm all right. Come on. If I can say I helped somebody out, I gave somebody five bucks, I was nice, I let them go ahead of me. As long as I can do that, I'm all right. But I have to tell you something this morning. Performing acts, going to church every Sunday, is not what gets you into heaven. Now you excuse me if I just want to be a little real this morning. But I believe this is where the Spirit is coming from today. Do you know that there is going to come a time and a day where everyone will rise from the dead? Everyone. I don't care what state you went into the grave in, uh, good state, bad state, happy, old, young, whatever it may be. But there will come a day when everybody will rise from the dead. And then there's going to be a point where we go, all go before the Lord to give an account. There's a book in the Bible that sort of breaks this down and explains this. It's called the book of Revelation. And it talks about this day where we go before the Lord. And the Bible calls it the white throne judgment. Some of you have heard of that. There's actually going to be two judgments, but we're not going to get into that this morning. There's a, actually, I really didn't mean to get into this, but it's just where the spirit is going. There's a white throne and there's going to be a book. And actually, there's going to be two books, but there's one book. And it's called the book of life. And every name in that book is going to be read. And if your name is not in that book, well, then you are going to be sentenced to an eternity that is separate from God. Now, eternal life, that phrase is used more than 50 times in the New Testament. Eternal life. And we really don't preach that a whole lot. We really don't preach end times and eternal life a whole lot because it can be scary. <laughs> But listen, eternal life is real. And when we talk about eternity, boy, I tell you, I, I'm a person who, when I think about stuff like that, it so blows my mind that I really don't want to think about it. You know what I mean? I, I was with a, a friend of mine when I was a teenager, and we were walking to the store. And I grew up in a day where my mom gave me $10 and said, go to the store and get some milk. And, you know, and at that time, I didn't even have a bike. Just you walk to the store, no matter how long it was, three miles walk get the milk and the eggs and whatever you needed and come back. So, uh, you know, I had to do this, so I got my friend to go with me. And uh, <clears throat> he, so we were walking to the store, and somehow we just got on this subject about when you die in eternity. 
And he, we started talking to each other about how it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And then after that, it goes on some more and then there's more and then it keeps going. And then after that, there's more and it goes on. And I was like, stop. You know, it's just that's just too much for me. I, I can't I can't grasp that. I cannot grasp eternity. You know, when I think about I don't know if you've you've read in the news over the last few years about the debt that this country is in. Some of you I know are from uh, different countries, but the debt that this country is in is more than a trillion dollars. We're more than a trillion dollars in debt. Now, I want to tell you, I have no idea what that even means. I don't know what the, how many billions are in a trillion, how many millions are in a billion, how many thousand. I mean, I don't know what that means for a trillion. It's a number that's it's a it's a tangible number, you know, but it's just a number that's so far out there, you know, especially when I got five bucks or 20 bucks and you're talking about a trillion. You know, I, I just don't know about that. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it is to be a leader in this country. And uh, no matter what you are, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, Democrat, Republican. Well, it'd be difficult to me for any of them to be a leader. I would I don't, to me, I don't know that I would want to be president. The Lord would have to come down and say, you are going to be president for me to run. I, I just wouldn't want to do that. I mean, because a trillion dollars is too much for my mind to fathom. I mean, what do you tell your creditor? Well, you know, I, I, I ain't got it, dog. I ain't, you know, I mean, I could put something on it, you know, but, I, you know, a trillion dollars, that's, that's a lot of money. I mean, it's just so far out there. Well, that's the way eternity is. I mean, it's just too much for us to fathom. And so when you think about it like that, think about would you want to spend eternity with the Lord or would you want to spend eternity separate from God? I mean, the Bible talks about some other things that I don't want to really scare you too much and get into, but it talks about the lake of fire. Come on, death, hell, the grave, Satan, and everyone with him are all going into the lake of fire. A lot of people think, well, if uh, you're not on the Lord's side, you're going to go to hell. Well, I want to tell you something. Hell is not the ultimate place. Hell is going into the lake of fire. (laughs) Hell is going to be destroyed as well, so all that's going to be gone. Point is not to scare you. I'm not trying to preach a fire and brimstone message like I got every Sunday growing up. All right. But my point is just to get you to think about this thing, that it's real. Eternity is real. And the decisions you make are real. And if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, is everything else going to come second? Are we all in or are we halfway in? You know, there's a a, a saying, well, a phrase in the, in the book of, of Revelation where God is talking to John and he talks about lukewarm people. He said, I'd rather you be cold or hot. I'd rather you be one or the other. Be on fire, be cold. In other words, stand up, make a decision, have a conviction than to be on the fence. Come on, it's, it's frustrating to have somebody. OK, you know what? Just think of it this way. Let's get together after church and say, let's go eat. Where are we going to eat? Well, I don't know. Where are you going to eat? Well, it doesn't matter to me. We spend an hour and a half trying to figure out where are we going to eat longer than we do eating. <laughs> Come on, that's frustrating because I'm hungry. <laughs> Somebody make a decision. <laughs> but God doesn't like that either for us to be on the fence. What you going to do? Well, yeah, I want to do some of the stuff, some of the stuff I don't. Here's what the Lord is calling us to today. He's saying, listen, I want it all. 
I want it all. And the reason is because, boy, if, if, if you give it all to me, what you will receive from me will absolutely blow your mind. Remember me talking about a few series back about how John said, uh, behold, you know, behold, check this out. I'm going to I'm going to blow your mind with what I'm about to say. That's what Jesus is telling you. Give it all to me, every bit of it, 100 percent. And I will absolutely blow your mind. I'll knock your socks off and any other cliche you can think about. All right. I will do it because at my right hand, there are pleasures evermore, evermore. That's, that's eternity. Evermore. Limitless, unending pleasures at my right hand. And in my presence, there's not just some joy. It's not half full of joy, but in my presence is the fullness of joy. You know what fullness means? It means you can't get any more in there. If I pour any more in there, it'll overflow. It's the fullness of joy. Everything you would ever want. The fullness of joy. And we, we bring these standards down to us. But what we really need to do is say, here's the standard. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's where it is. Let's reach up to that. Okay, I'm not there yet. What do I need to do, Lord? Come on, I'll sacrifice. I'll give it all. Tell me how to get there. Because when I get there, that's where the blessings are. That's where the healing is. That's where the deliverance is. That's where the pleasure is. Come on. That's where it is when you reach the standard that God has set for us. And it's not impossible for you to do. You can do it with the Holy Spirit. He'll do it. In the Gospels, this term is used more than 50 times, eternal life. That, that book expounds on, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen on that day. And I tell you what, when, when we get there and, uh, you, you know, if your name is read, I want you to also think about this. When they get down to the A's and the Anderson and the B's and then they get to the C's. Okay, Carter, 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 Carter. Yes, I'm in there. <clears throat> But then the Bible says that there are going to be some surprises. There are going to be some people there that you're going to say, how did you get here? I would not have expected to see you. You know, nothing against you, but I just would not have expected to see you here. You know, I just wouldn't have expected it. That's because we have in our mind how you're going to get saved. You know, if you're a good person, you do good things. I would say that's not it. For by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is what? The gift of God. The gift of God that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, come on, and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead on the third day, you shall be saved. And so you'll see some people there that I didn't, I didn't really realize that you would be here. And there will be some other people that you thought, well, I really thought you'd be here. You're a good person, but you're not here. Your name's not in the book. Jesus will say, I never knew you. And these are people that, I'm, now I'm not just talking about bad, I'm not talking about murderers and rapists and all that. I'm talking about people that cast out demons in Jesus' name. Come on, I'm talking about the Bible now. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. Jesus said, there will be those of you who cast out demons in my name, but when you come before me, I'll say, I never knew you. How does that happen? How can you cast out demons in Jesus' name and use the name of Jesus, but he never knows you and you never know him? Well, it's because of relationship. That's what it's about. It's not about activity or actions. It's about relationship. 
All of the activity and action should come out of the relationship that we have with Jesus. That's got to be first. Relationship has to be first. And so he'll say, I never knew you. Can you imagine looking at those people? Maybe there's some family members. Some family members that you thought would be there, but they're not. And maybe they look up at you and say, you never told me. How come I didn't knock him? You didn't tell me. I really didn't think. You know, I thought maybe there was a purgatory or some other thing that I could do. You never told me. Bible says that they'll be able to feel, remember. And so will you. But you never told me. You never emphasized it. You told me in passing. I knew you went to church, but you didn't tell it was personal for me. Boy, I don't want that. I, I, I live with an experience right now with my father. <clears throat> Told this story before, but my, my father, I was over at my brother's house, and uh, he and his wife, Dietrich and I were over there, and his wife grew up a Jehovah's Witness. Her family was a Jehovah's Witness, and we got to talking. And, and uh, anyway, talking about Jesus, and, you know, we were witnessing to her and, and to my, my brother. I think it just got saved, actually. Um, and uh, he had accepted the Lord, and, and we were talking to her about it. And she said, well, you know, I'm willing to listen to it. I just, that's just what my mom and dad always knew was Jehovah's Witness, so I never heard about this thing. And so we began to talk to her, and we had a little Bible study there right at their dining room table. <clears throat> well, in the meantime, my father came over to my brother's house, and he was there. And, uh, you know, I, I can't even remember what he stopped by for, but he stopped by, and he was kind of there. And we we're having this discussion, and he's in the room, and he's standing over in the corner. You know, he came, whatever he wanted to do or whatever purpose he came for, he did that and he was ready to leave. But he was just kind of standing in the corner listening to us. And as we were talking, he would interject and he asked a couple questions. Well, what about this and what about that? And, as, and my focus was on my sister-in-law. I'm, I'm thinking about her and getting her saved because she's so close. She's right there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to hear this. And my father's asking questions who's not saved. And I kind of answer him, uh, you know, as if he's bothering me. That wasn't my intent, but that's kind of like, yeah, yeah, dad, it's, you know, so-and-so. And then I'm going back to Kiana. And so I'm talking to her, and then the next thing I know, he, he left. He was gone. I looked back. Dad was gone. She prayed the prayer of salvation. And uh, to me, all was well. Two weeks later, I get a call, 530 in the morning. It's Kiana. My sister-in-law said, hey, did you, have you talked to your mom? No, I hadn't talked to her. She's up at the hospital. You might want to call her. At the hospital? What's, it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm trying to grasp, you know. And so finally I called the hospital, get a hold of my mom. And she said, he's gone. And I'm thinking, well, where did he go? What are you talking about? You know, I, she said, no, he's, you're, you're, he's gone. Your dad's gone. And uh, he had died in the night. I was devastated. More devastated than I thought I would be. I mean, my dad and I were kind of close, but we weren't, you know, that kind of close, you know. And, uh, I mean, I just, I, tears began to flow, and I just could not stop crying. In fact, I mean, Dietrich just had to sing to me, you know, that morning. I, I, I couldn't stop crying. And you know what? I, I was thinking, why? I was thinking, of course it's my father. Of course I'm sad because he just passed away. Of course. But why is it so deep? I mean, it was, it was more deep than anything I could ever explain to you. I don't know if you remember that was so deep, and I began to think, why is this so, why does it cut so deep? And <clears throat> weeks later, 
uh, it came to me. And I believe the Lord revealed it to me because there was an opportunity there. And now you'll have a void the rest of your life not knowing if he ever gave his life to the Lord. And the opportunity was right there for you. He was asking questions. You know, God looked at me to say, what, you don't think I can do two at a time? We can do two at a time. It's okay. But it cuts so deep. And so I don't ever want to have that experience again. I don't want to be there and someone look at me and say, why didn't you tell me, big time pastor? How come you didn't tell me these things? What we're doing on this journey is we are revealing steps along the journey to becoming a true follower of Jesus. These steps are first the admirer, which we talked about last week, the inquirer, the responder, the follower, and then the reproducer. You may say, how can follower be the fourth one? And that's the name of your series because you need the other three in order to be a follower. Can't be a follower to your first admire. And then you inquire and then you respond. Now you can follow. Ultimately, God wants us to reproduce. Come on. He wants us to reproduce. But today we're going to look a little bit at inquirers. I want you to find yourself in this journey. Okay. Identify yourself where you are. And we talked about it last week. You have to be just absolutely honest with yourself. I mean, if you're an admirer, that is okay. Maybe you haven't even started the journey. Well, that's okay too. Nothing you can do about not having started. But there is something you can do about starting. Come on. So if you're an admirer, an inquirer, responder, a follower, or a reproducer, where are you in this journey? What are the admirers? We talked about this last week. The admirers, if you look at Luke 6, they are the multitudes of people that are attracted to Jesus because he is wonderful. Just because of his aura, because of who he is, because of what he's done. He's powerful and he's willing to touch their lives. They are people who uh, someone has said, listen, you need to come hear this man talk and you need to see what's going on. Because there were some people, there was a blind guy, and I'm telling you, he spit on the ground and rubbed it on his eyes, and now that guy can see. And I know he was blind, because I know his parents. Come on. He was blind. There was this guy who was lame, and uh, he touched his hand and picked him up, and he started walking. You need to come see this guy. And so admirers will come from all over. Let me go see what is going on. Admirers are those who need help. Come on, there was a Canaanite woman who her daughter had been sick for years. In fact, her daughter was on her deathbed. And she said, listen, I've, I've been to all the doctors. I've done everything I can do, but there's something I can do. I've heard about this man, Jesus. You can't go with me, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And, and she made it to Jesus. She made it to the table where he was. And her daughter was healed. Talking about those who just are in awe of him. But that's as far as you go as an admirer. Why do you want to make the transition from an admirer to an inquirer? Well, I'll tell you, it's not because of what Jesus can do for you, but it's because of who he is. Not because of what he does, but it's because of who he is. Well, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, there is no one like him. He's the most important person. The greatest example, 
the most credible, come on, his life has made the greatest impact of anyone ever. And we follow Jesus simply because he deserves it. Now, I could go on and on about others who people compare to Jesus. We could talk about Buddha and the Dalai Lama. We could talk about Confucius and Scientology and all of these other people, uh, uh, who Muhammad and Allah and all of these people. But there's one distinct difference between anyone you would ever talk about and Jesus. Not to be mean, not to be disrespectful to all those other people, but you know where they are? Dead. Still dead. In the ground, in the grave. You can follow their teachings, but you cannot follow them. But we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. Come on. The Bible says they killed him on the cross. He died the bloodiest, most gruesome death anyone has ever died. I don't know if you've studied anything about crucifixion, but Jesus' death was very, very gruesome. It was, it was more gruesome than even that journalist who got beheaded. Come on. Because Jesus endured it for hours until he finally gave up the ghost. But the Bible says on the third day, the stone was rolled away. Come on. And Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, he was resurrected by that same spirit that lives in some of you. That same spirit resurrected Jesus. And so why would we want to follow him? Why do we want to not stay where we are as an admirer, but take a, a step forward to inquire? Why do we want to ask some more questions? Because Jesus is unlike anyone else. And here's what you have to understand about Jesus. His frame of reference, folks, is not like you and I, our frame of reference. His frame of reference is from eternity. You see, before Jesus walked the earth as a man, he was still part of the Godhead. He was still the essence. He was still the word of God, not from the beginning, but from eternity. Remember I talked about eternity going forward? Well, think about eternity going back. You really want to bake your noodle. Come on. Right? You really want your head to just fall off because you're trying to think of this thing. Eternity past is, if eternity forward is unfathomable, I don't know what the word for is uh, eternity past. It never began. It just always was. That makes no sense, like my son would say to me sometimes. That makes no sense. Of course it doesn't. We don't understand that. But from eternity past, Jesus has always. So you understand his frame of reference to this whole thing. His frame of reference is eternity. So when he tells us these things, when he when he gives us principles, when he lays it out and tells us to give our all to him, that nothing else can be second. That's his frame of reference. Our frame of reference is relationship we have with other people, how we've got hurt. How the government has done us, how we've uh, how we've been done on the job or whatever it is, how we've seen uh, someone else treated. That's our frame of reference, but it's not Jesus's frame of reference. So don't think he's crazy when he says these things to you. Give me your all. It's from the it's from eternity that he's speaking. That's his reference. So then what now is an inquirer? Here's what an inquirer is. Inquirers, that, that's the many people who are a little more curious about Jesus. They don't just come for one event or just to get healed. They don't come to ask for a favor. But inquirers come, they want to ask more questions. 
And the way they do that is they spend time around him to see how deep they wish to go. Hmm. I need to ask some more questions here. Remember we talked about this? Hmm. Now, so you are going to die on the cross. Yep, already did that. Okay, wait a minute. But you're here, yes. So you didn't die. No, I did die. Well, how are you here if you died? I resurrected. You died and resurrected, yes. And they just ask more questions. Well, what does this mean, eternity? And he begins to explain all these things. And you have more questions as an inquirer. Inquirers who encountered Jesus. Here's, here's a few examples. There's a few of them in the Bible, but here's, here's three of them. One of them is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the ultimate inquirer. The rich young ruler, he was an inquirer. And then what about Zacchaeus? He was also an inquirer of Jesus. Now, one of the things I like about Nicodemus is he was intellectual. You see, Jesus, uh, Jesus was, uh, he, he knows everything from eternity, but Nicodemus was learned. Come on. He was an intellectual. He went to school, got his bachelor's, went back, got his master's, and he got his double doctorate. He was ready. He knew all these things. He knew the law forward and backward. He was an intellectual, and that's the way he approached things. And so he came to Jesus at night asking some questions. Now, all this stuff I know, Jesus, I've studied it out from beginning to the end. I've looked it up in the Greek because that's what we're speaking, Greek. I've, I've done all these things. I've cross-referenced. I've done all this stuff, but there's just a few questions that I have. In other words, how can you be born again? None of my studies tell me that. None of the words I look up, none of the definitions tell me how you can be born again. Jesus says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. And then he said, okay, so what, I'm supposed to go back into my mother's womb? You know, one of the funny things is Jesus said, listen, you are, uh, got your double doctorate, all right, two or three masters, went to the best schools, all these things you've done. And you don't understand spiritual things. You don't understand them. And so he began to break it down to Nicodemus and tell him, listen, look at the wind. See how the wind goes back and forth? Can you tell me where it comes from? Well, no. Can you tell me where it's going? Well, no, not really. So is the Holy Spirit. Come on. It's that same way. This is why by faith you are saved. It is the gift of God. It's not of yourselves. You are saved by grace through faith. We must believe. And this is what Nicodemus had to get in his head. He was a secret inquirer. He came to Jesus by night. <clears throat> Some of us are that way. But I'll tell you what, I would never come down on an inquirer because at least you are inquiring. Come on. So if you must be a secret inquirer, go to Jesus. Go to him by night and say, Lord, I just don't understand these things. You know, I hear all these people talk. I've been to church. I hear people talk at work. I hear people witness and all that. And I shake my head, uh-huh, uh-huh. But really, I don't understand it. Jesus will reveal it to you. Nicodemus was an intentional inquirer. He didn't just wait for Jesus to pass by. He, he knew when Jesus would be alone. He said, guess what? Now, I'm going to Jesus. Excuse me, I need some of your time. I know it's late. He was intentional about this thing. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. 
No one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. But I have some questions. He came with intention and with serious questions for Jesus. And he found the answer in language that he understood. Jesus broke it down to him. Jesus told him some things, really, that kind of blew his mind. Because there in his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus said that the Son of Man uh, comes from heaven and is in heaven right now. Another thing that will blow your mind. These are things you can't learn, come on, at the university. How are you in heaven, but I'm looking at you? Well, then he has to go and explain the kingdom of God to him. Nicodemus was an immediate responder. Here's where we got to get to if we want to be a good inquirer. Don't wait. There's something you don't understand. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. I can imagine when we're, when we, when we're before God and he reads all of our names, everybody in here, he reads your name, and we, and we go on in. I don't know what's going to happen after that. I, I, I know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And from what I've read, we're going to be on the new earth. You know, there are going to be cities. We're going to go uh, within the city and without the city. And there will still be kings and all sorts of things. Uh, you know, I, I, but, I, but I don't know the specifics. But I just imagine and dream that maybe we'll all be together sometime. And, and God's going to let us know some things. You know, and uh, I can imagine that people will have some questions. But I'm going to be very aggressive and knock some people out of the way to get my hand up. To go, oh, wait, wait, wait. Me, I, I had it up first. I got some questions, Lord. <laughs> I am going to be the ultimate inquirer. I don't know about you, but when we get there, I got some questions. Now, maybe you don't have any questions. You guys know everything. I don't know. But for me, I got some questions. I have some questions, Lord. Why is this? Why is that? And I imagine he will tell us. But I plan on being an immediate responder on that day. But really, we need to be an immediate responder now to be a good inquirer. When you have it in your mind, don't let it go. Search it out. Read your Bible. Pray about it. Come to a leader in the church. Go to a friend who you know is a Christian. Search it out. Listen to some sermons. You can do those things. Be an immediate responder to be a good inquirer. What about the rich young ruler? You know, a rich young ruler came to Jesus, as we well know. And a uh, rich young ruler was a person who, he thought he had it all together. Because, first of all, I'm rich. Okay? I got money. Not worried about that. Got servants. Got food. Whatever I need. Got all those things. Not worried about it. But, even on top of all that, I've kept the whole law. See, I've done both. Yeah, I'm not like other people. I'm both rich and religious. I've kept the law. So this is the attitude that he comes to Jesus with. He says, Lord, rabbi, teacher, check this out. I'm rich, good looking, and I have kept the law from the beginning. What else is there? What else is there? What else can I do? You know, Jesus gave him, a, he, right before, he told him some things. He said, yeah, you need to do this, do that. He said, well, I kept the law from the beginning. Keep it, what else? Tell me something else. Don't steal. Didn't do it. Come on. Then all these things. What else is there, Lord? Jesus said, well, there is something that you lack. 
sell all that you have, give it to the poor. Gave him some specific instructions. Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. The Bible says a rich young ruler went away sad. Why did he go away sad? Here's what I want to tell you. It wasn't about his possessions. It wasn't about Jesus separating him from his possessions as some sort of punishment. But it's about Jesus being the center of all. It's about everything else being second. Nothing wrong with having things, being rich, all of those. Nothing wrong with any of it. But what there is something wrong with is Jesus being second to those things. You understand that? You see, when Jesus becomes second, then those other things to him become unimportant. He's going to say, listen, you need to sell all. And the rich young ruler did not have this concept. Because, folks, with the Lord, it's about relationship. It's the bottom line. It's about relationship. The truth of that story about the rich young ruler can can be summarized in one statement that Jesus made in Luke 14. He said, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Well, if I said right now, how many of us feel as though we are disciples of God? Most of us, if not all, would probably raise our hands. I, I feel like I'm a disciple. But then if I said, compare what you believe yourself to be a disciple to this scripture right here. The one that has not forsaken all cannot be my disciple. Now, when you juxtapose that against your definition of a disciple, now are you still truly a disciple of Christ? Are you really a disciple? See, Jesus gave him the test of forsaking all. He was asked to choose between putting Jesus first or his possessions. And he failed the test like so many of us would do. He failed the test. See, Jesus must be above everything, even things that we think are sacred. It's a story of a young man who joined the Navy. He was a new recruit and his Officer was talking to him one day and he asked his officer for a weekend pass so he could attend a wedding. Can I have a weekend pass? Well, the officer gave him a pass, but informed the young man that you need to be back by Sunday, 7 p.m. Okay, you got the weekend pass, 7 p.m. You need to report or you will be AWOL. Got it? Okay. Uh, I understand what you're saying, sir, but you don't understand. See, I'm in the wedding. I'm in this wedding. The officer said, no, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. And when you're in the Navy, that comes first. Everything else is second. You don't do what we say, you're AWOL. Well, that sounds like kind of a harsh story. And most of us would probably scoff at something like that. But I'm telling you, when you serve Jesus, that's the way it is. Well, you don't understand, Lord. I just I had a few things to do. I couldn't really attend church. I really couldn't pray. I really couldn't uh, read your word. Uh, I really couldn't do that thing that you asked me to do. You don't understand, Lord. Lord is saying, no, you don't understand. It's all or nothing. Sounds kind of harsh this morning, doesn't it? All or nothing. But when you give God your all, he gives you his all. Come on, that's the beautiful part of it. If we would just get that part of it 
into our thick head sometimes <laughs> that if we give God all, he'll give us all. And I can guarantee you this, his all is a lot more than your all. <laughs> Come on now, you don't want to get into comparing alls. <laughs> because his all is a lot more. So this young man didn't pass the test of forsaking all. The rich young ruler, he was a hesitant inquirer. He was hesitant. I'm inquiring, but I'm a little hesitant. You see, he had the right motive. He had the right attitude. Come on. He had the right source because he went to Jesus, but he had the wrong conclusion when he concluded that what I have is more important than what you can give me. What I have is more important than what you can give me. A pastor spoke on the lordship of Christ one time, and at the end, a young lady walked up to him and said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, but I'm afraid God will send me overseas as a missionary, and I don't want to go. The pastor opened the Bible to Acts 10, 14, where Jesus tells Peter to eat what was considered unclean animals. Peter answers and says, not so, Lord. The pastor explained a slave servant never dictates to the master. Therefore, to say, not so, Lord, was impertinent. Now I want you to cross out two words, the pastor says. Cross out not so and leave the word Lord. Your response is just Lord. Or else cross out the word Lord and just leave the words not so. Because it's one or the other. Either it's not so or it's Lord. Which is he in your life? You can't be a hesitant inquirer. You can't say, Lord, what must I do to be saved as long as I get to keep these things? You have to say, Lord, what must I do to be saved no matter what? Because I know what you have is better than anything I've attained myself. And then finally, Zacchaeus, he was the unlikely inquirer. Now, this man, Zacchaeus, was probably the equivalent of a pimp. In today's time, okay? It's what he was. He was pimp daddy, was Zacchaeus, all right? I mean, this man was not a, a nice man. He was short. Uh, he was a little rotund, all right? A little short man. And so when he saw Jesus coming and the crowd coming, he couldn't get to Jesus. In fact, he couldn't even jump over the crowd because he was a little hefty. He couldn't jump that high. Kind of had that two-inch vertical like me. Doing the ice bucket challenge. I could only jump up two inches, but that thing was cold, man. I'll tell you what. And uh, so he couldn't, he couldn't see him. So he went and he found a tree that could hold him. You know, he went to one tree. He said, no, that tree's too little. Went over to this tree. said, okay, now this tree can hold me. So he climbed up in a tree to see Jesus and to see what all this ruckus was about. Because Zacchaeus knew in his heart that he wasn't right. He knew he wasn't a good man. He also had money. Come on. But he wasn't living a good life. But to his surprise, Jesus, walking along, talking to people, looked up and said, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house for dinner. He said, we're not going to Olive Garden. We're not going to Applebee's. I'm coming over to your house. Zacchaeus said, my house? He said, your house. I'm coming to your house for dinner. Can you imagine everybody else looking at Jesus going, do you know Zacchaeus is a pimp? 
You're going over his house? Why would you go over his house? And Jesus saying, I told you this before, but the sick need the doctor, not the well. And Zacchaeus is sick. And I see him. And he's inquiring. He got up in a tree just to see me. So I'm going over Zacchaeus' house. Well, he was also a tax collector. Zacchaeus actually was over tax collectors. See, back in those days, the tax collector wasn't appointed by the government. And I'm almost finished here. He wasn't appointed by the government. But what tax collectors would do is they would bid on it. They would say, listen, I promise to pay the government $1,000 this year if you give me the contract of collecting taxes. So he said, I'll, I'll pay that. And then anything he collected over that $1,000, he got to keep. Right. So that's the way it worked. And so taxes were up to him, the tax collector. The government got their $1,000. See, it's a lot different than the way we do it. Government got their 1000 and after that, Zacchaeus, it's up to you. You go and get as much money as you can. Hire some guys, come on, some strong-arm guys, twist a few arms, right, and, and do that, and then he can get as much money as he wants. That's the kind of tax. That's why people hated Matthew when they were over at Matthew's house, okay? When you say tax collector, that's why it wasn't just the, the IRS, all right, or somebody calling you up saying you owe this percentage, they were trying to get as much money as they could. But Zacchaeus worshipped money and power, and he perverted perspective. He had a surplus of wealth. And in the eyes of others, he had made it. He had it made. But he wanted control. He wanted to identify with success. He wanted status. He wanted comfort. Come on. He wanted security. Many of those things that we all want. He wanted money. He wanted people to revere him. Come on, we want to be uh, admired. It's in there. It's in the flesh. And that's what he wanted. So he sought zealously to do that. But then when Jesus came along, he said, wait a minute, there's something different. There's something that has convicted me in this thing. And so Zacchaeus overcame his limitations to find Jesus. He said, I have some questions and I am going to do whatever I must in order to get to Jesus. As bad as Zacchaeus was, how many of us can say, I will do whatever it takes to get to Jesus? Whatever it takes, I need to understand what is going on. I need some understanding. And that was Zacchaeus. Come on. He was educated to an extent, but Zacchaeus just wanted to know. And he responded with actions. And then, listen, this is what happened. You had Nicodemus, who was the intelligent inquirer. I come to you with my intelligence, and I want to relate to you this way. Let us reason together. And then you had the rich young ruler who said, look, I'm the man. I've kept the law. I've done all these things. What else you got? Now you got Zacchaeus, who knows his life wasn't right. And he just came to Jesus and said, I know my life is not right. I need to do whatever I can do to get to you. Jesus said, well, I'm coming over to your house for dinner. We're going to talk about it. So they talked about it. And listen to what Zacchaeus said after that. He was cut to the heart, folks. He said, you know what, Jesus? He said, I'm a, I'll give half my goods to the poor. Half of them to the poor right off the top. And I'll repay Anybody that I've taken taxes from when I've done it the wrong way, I'll, I'll repay them fourfold. You see, Zacchaeus was cut to the heart. And because he was this type of inquirer, 
He was cut to the heart and it led him to actions. How do you know you've made the step from admirer to inquirer, true inquirer? When your inquiries lead you to action. When Jesus responds and your inquiries lead you to action. See, Jesus, Zacchaeus rather, accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And when you do that, now you've got it all together. Not when you get so much money and you've kept all of the law. But when you get to the point where you accept Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Either say, not so, or say, Lord. Which will it be for us today? Are you an admirer? Do you just see Jesus from afar and say, boy, I'll tell you what, that's something. I would like to go over there and get healed, like a sale, you know, a sale. Penny's is having a sale. Let's go over there today and see what we can get. That's an admirer. But at least they are admiring the right thing. Or are you an inquirer where you say, I'm not just going for the one-time event. I've got some questions. I wish you could answer. Can you help me? And then that leads you to action. That's who we need to be. I hope you can identify yourself in one of these.